Hello and welcome to another episode of Charles Weekly Partake. I'm Charles, your host, and before I get started, let's roll the intro. So, I just want to start off the episode by quickly giving a little bit of a change of plans for this particular episode. Um, I've been noticing over the past few weeks that there's been low viewership on the YouTube channel. So, um, for the moment, and especially considering I have a slightly different set of circumstances, I don't have, or I'm not operating at my normal set this week. So, because of that, um, there will be no um, video, there won't be a video component to this. And by that I mean you won't be able to actually see me talk. So um, if you're looking forward to that, I apologize, but um, there will be a release on on YouTube. However, it will not it will it will be uh, different. There won't be any you won't be having a video feed of me talking. So anyway, with that uh, brief sort of update aside and whether or not video um, pieces continue in the future, we'll see. But for the for this episode, I'm not doing it. Another quick update I wanted to give is that the results are in from the podcast competition that um, I entered into for this or for Charles Weekly Part T. And although I know many of you were able to go and vote and help try and support um, the podcast in the competition, we didn't win any prizes this time around. But we'll we'll see about what happens next year. Now, instead of going on about this, I know you've heard about the um, competition a few times, but I just wanted to give you a final update on how things or how things finished up, and I do want to give you what or give you what you'd like to uh, hear from tuning into Charles Weekly Party. And in the spirit of the Olympics, I'd like to go over the Japan National Stadium this week. And I think it I think this is actually a nice enough piece of architecture that uh, it, the primary focus of this episode is going to be on that. There'll be a couple of little tech updates that sort of caught my eye, but right now I'm think—I'm thinking pretty heavily about the stadium. So, if I can pronounce this right, the stadium was designed by Azusa Sakai and Kengokuma and Associates. And it is located in Tokyo, Japan, and... Before I start talking about the structure itself, I'd just like to give a little bit of backstory. So, back when, um, back when Tokyo bid to be a host city for the Olympics, um, that was when talks started about either renovating or rebuilding the national stadium, and. It, the decision was made, I think, in 2012 
to rebuild the stadium instead of renovating the existing one. So initially with the designs, I think there's a, um, what do you call it? So, sort of a uh, architecting or architecture bid for the job, which um, Zaha Hadid won the initial uh, one was the initial selected architect for the project and created the initial design. However, as time went on, the city of Tokyo ran into more budget constraints. And because of these constraints, there were um, design revisions were necessary to continue the project. So eventually, because of the um, design revisions and budget constraints, uh, Zaha Hadid was not, they had contractors part partnering with architects. Zaha Hadid could not find a partnering architect. So because, er, partnering architect, excuse me, partnering contractor. And because of that, um, the, the architects that were actually used for the product, um, which is primarily uh, King Okuma, were selected along with the um, contractor whose name is not coming to my mind right now. So out of the initial design, there were quite a few features that were actually removed. So one of those features was a retractable roof to be able to have the stadium fully enclosed um, at times, but also bring in natural light when when that was wanted. Uh, that was really done. Or that was really done for budgetary constraints. And air conditioning was also gotten rid of, although the that was. Um, I think that was both financial and um, there was also a specific request by the, um, what was it, the Olympics minister or something? But I think, I think that's the name of the, that was the uh, position person was in. But what happened was uh, this particular person uh, pointed out not to go and put air conditioning in because the air conditioning was only in a couple of stadiums elsewhere in the world and the other um, the other aspect to this was that um, the air conditioning according to this the person who requested that it be removed said that the air conditioning would only really be able to uh, lower the temperature by three to six degrees Celsius. So while I don't have the, I, I'm not really able to pull off that conversion in my head easily. It's not exactly a large temperature difference. So basically if it's, if it is hot enough outside, it's the air conditioning wouldn't be making it much cooler. So I can I can see the reasoning on that, and also if you use um, more passive design technology, 
then I, I can't say I'd exactly, um, I, I think you could probably get away without the air conditioning because for, for the expense, it's, it's not carrying its weight in cooling. Another thing that was removed was the sports museum. Um, and that I ha I do have some mixed feelings about because I'll talk about this a little bit later with future use of um, facilities intentionally constructed for Olympic use. Having a future uh, use for the property is a very good thing to have. Last but not least is the um, sky walkway that was removed. Um, don't I can't go in. I didn't look into the original design enough to know exactly what the schematic for the sky walkway was, but I'm sure whatever what it was would have been pretty good. So aside from all of the planning and also the uh, seating reduction. So there are fewer VIP seats and fewer permanent seats with a focus on temporary seats that could be constructed over the athletic track, or the running track, excuse me. After all of the revisions were said and done, the new stadium was completed in December of 2019. And its, and its first event, I believe, was held on the 21st of uh, that December with, uh, I can't remember exactly what the event was, but it, it wasn't an Olympic event. So with all of the backstory in mind, now, I, now I'm going to talk about the fun stuff or the features that we all know and love. So for starters, um, there's a, I mentioned they got rid of the retractable roof, but there is actually a partial roof. So the stadium is not entirely enclosed, but there is roofing over the, where the spectator seating is only. And I believe that extends over the running track enough because if they have temporary seating, then... That and considering that's where the temporary seating is going to be, it would be nice to at least have the seating there covered. The other piece with having the partial roof is that hot air and humidity is able to easily vent through the center of the stadium. And last but not least, the roof design, although it wasn't able to be retractable, is um, still cantilevered. So what that means for the viewer is that there are no seats that you're going to run into that you can't see much because there's a cantilever, or because there's a uh, supporting beam. So having the cantilevers gets rid of all of that concern. When it comes to the design of this uh, stadium, the material selection and the way everything is put together in the design is actually pretty cool because it 
it manages to check multiple different boxes with one design. First and foremost, it looks um, it looks modern. And thinking back to what someone once told me in an architecture class is uh, you shouldn't be focusing the style isn't something you should necessarily focus on you should be focusing more on the connections so when I say that it's modern I'm saying it is more of a more of a little feature piece so the fact that it's and sometimes I'll admit that or contrary to what I was told there is a degree of importance to actually going and planning out how some of the design pieces are going to be interpreted and for a new olympic for a new stadium especially in this sort of uh design field needs to look or it needs to have a modern representation because when people see this stadium um, that's especially those who are not from that country that's the that's a lot of representation of the country for the millions of people that watch the Olympics at, or watch the Olympics at home I can tell you right now if I'm looking at the uh, things hosted in what looks to be a nice sleek modern facility I'm going to think that the my impression of the city around it is going to be that it's nice sleek and modern whereas if the stadium looks like it is like it's 50 some odd years old I might end up thinking that the uh, city itself almost has a mindset of being uh, 50 years or being stuck in the past almost so while it may not seem like a big deal it actually is in this case because how how the piece ends up looking is actually a very crucial part of the stadium and, and with the amount of money that they're putting in they need it to look really good the other things about the design also have it looking very distinct so it doesn't it doesn't look like an oh I've seen that before it it looks like itself and nothing else and in the same uh, with the same design the exterior appearance also has sort of a natural feel to it so it doesn't feel it doesn't feel entirely focused on celebrating uh what do you call it celebrating man-made design it also has a big deep feeling connection to the natural environment and last but not least the design has a distinct Japanese feel to it and I'm not trying to um, categorize 
types of art, types of architecture or anything. But for this design, I f it feels like it belongs, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to uh, pro profile the country or anything. I'm just saying that it feels like it belong it belongs there and it feels like it has more of a traditional uh Japanese feel to it and you can look at some of the if you were to look at some of the Zen gardens I could possibly look at one of those in a future episode a lot of those have beautiful integrations with or between nature and man-made and trying to celebrate nature as much as possible and I think this stadium actually works pretty well with that. It's Yes, it's man-made, and from looking at it, you can tell that. But you can also tell that it's designed very carefully. So, with, res with respect to the other piece of the design, I know you all are used to it. And I know I'm always entertained by it. The site design and why I'm always entertained by it is because the site connections make or break the architecture so if you have bad site integrations I can guarantee you right now the site is not going to feel quite like it should I don't really know how to put it best for a lack of better words, if you don't do the necessary work on the site, the whole place isn't going to feel quite right. Taking that into account, the site design actually connects pretty well with all of the major intersections around the stadium and also has easy connections to mass transit routes. And I, I'm definitely mentioning it, although for me at least, um, I'll, I'll discuss this a little bit later, but this will have, this stadium is going to have to be used more in the future to really take advantage of several of the different features that were designed into it because um, I'll, I'll go into this more later on, but right now there are no spectators because of the declared state of emergency in Tokyo so the another piece of the overall site design is that earthquake precautions had to be taken into account because without the earthquake precautions, um, especially in that area, they it would really not be a good thing for a city to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on building a stadium only to have an earthquake render the whole place uh, useless. At that point, they might as well have left up the previous stadium. would have saved quite a lot of money. So, on the first level of the stadium, there are oil dampers, which, in the event of an earthquake, are actually able to 
absorb most of the energy from an earthquake to prevent it from affecting the stadium. And we've actually sort of seen some of the, uh, this before in other, uh, other structures in earthquake-prone areas, and most notably um, coming to mind is the Apple Park and related structures, because they, they went and really did a lot of work around the site, which is part of why it cost as much as it did, to make sure that if an earthquake hit, the building was essentially floating separately from the ground. So basically the same thing was done here, making, except instead of as in-depth as it was in Apple Park, they use oil dampers to um, try and absorb the force from an earthquake instead of letting it go to the building. Now, for the exterior design, there are more considerations that were taken into effect. And first and foremost is the stadium has a minimal sort of height to it because with the surrounding Fiji Shrine's um, outer garden, there's ha having too tall of a stadium would really stand out and feel like it doesn't belong there. So limiting the height actually did a was did a significant favor for the what's what's the word I want to use? It did a significant favor for the uh, for the surroundings. So once again, going back to making sure that the stadium feels like it belongs there. Also, on the outer eaves of the stadium, there is greenery. And this greenery helps really can complete the natural feel to it. And it really helps make, it, make the whole stadium feel like it's doing what it's supposed to. And it feel, it, it's, it's going back to the architecture philosophy of blending in, but standing out. And that, that's my biggest thing for architecture. It should blend in with its surroundings so it doesn't feel, it shouldn't feel, if, if you've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, it shouldn't feel like you just had something fall out of the sky and land somewhere. However, it should also stand out. It shouldn't, I mean, if, if you think about it, having a whole forest of trees, what's going to tell one tree apart from another? But if you have a different species of tree in, in the midst of a whole bunch of other trees that are of the same species, that one tree is going to feel like it, it fits in because it, it's a tree, it has leaves, but it's, it's different and it stands out. And that's, uh, that's what grabs your attention, but not because, but it's not grabbing your attention in a bad way. And that greenery is what that's doing to surround in with, to fit in with gardens. Sometimes you have to look a little bit gardeny. 
So having the eaves with a, uh, I can't, I'm, I have the color in my head, but trying to describe it is, I guess, a little bit more interesting. It's a little bit more tan. It, not Tan isn't exactly the word I want to use. It, it's that natural, it's almost that natural shade of brown, if you can think of what I'm saying. Have, so that it feels almost wooden in nature. And then the greenery set, or brings that together. So having the combination of the eaves and the greenery, the eaves combine the man-made with the natural of the greenery. And that's what's actually pretty cool. So my thoughts on this whole situation is, and by situation I mean stadium, is that because of COVID-19, there's some degree of effort that was almost wasted for the Olympic event, but also ended up justifying several of the um, budget restrictions that and cost reductions that took place. So because of the state of emergency, there are absolutely no spectators at the Olympics. And the... And because of that, having the reductions in seating now seems extraordinarily a, a great in terms of choices of cost reduction because the extra seats for the Olympics would not have been useful. So saving the money actually did them a pretty big favor. So, other, so another thing I'd like to point out is that I think unlike some of the other Olympic venues, I mean most notably looking at the Rio Olympics, the, this stadium will have other uses after the Olympics occur. And they started off, uh, the inaugural event was actually not an Olympic event. And I think that certain serves the purpose of demonstrating hey we built this stadium for many uses it's going it's a national pride it's going to we're going to be using it for the olympics but we're not saying that it should only be used for the olympics and that's extraordinarily important for olympic stadiums because um i, I mentioned rio other uh, Olympic stadiums haven't been doing as well. And having, the, having a city spend extraordinary amounts of money on a stadium and not having it get used after the Olympics is really an extraordinary waste of money. So, and not, not to mention it's an extraordinary waste of the materials used to build something. Because if there can't be any use for it, then we're, we're running into problems because you're building something custom for an event that happens every couple of, or happens every couple of years, but if they aren't being reused, then we're, you're going to start running out of spots pretty quickly. And that's what's starting to happen because less cities are bidding 
for the Olympic Games. So, and it, it, it's gone from being a very competitive 20 cities applying for the thing, and um, some cities even sort of shuffling, or trying to keep crime rights or crime rates quiet to try and or try and encourage um, an Olympic decision. Now you're down to having maybe two cities applying for the Olymp or to host the Olympics, which is limiting the choice of the um, Olympics committee. So that brings up the other task for future Olympic architects, which is taking into account the situations regarding the Olympics and trying to make sure that whatever facility gets designed and built is future proof. So you can't, you can't just be, oh, let's design the best facility we can for the Olympics. It has to be, let's design a facility that's capable of hosting the Olympics, but is also capable of serving the city it's in long after the Olympics go away. And if it's actually done well enough, I don't, I'd almost think that it should be able to host a future um, Olympic ceremony or a future, I don't know what the best way to put it is, a future Olympics event. So we'll have to see where that goes, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to how things end up turning out. Now, before I close for the day, I do want to quickly talk about a couple of um, technology updates that caught my eye. So first and foremost, are that if you own an Amazon Alexa, congratulations, you can now get um, a couple more celebrity voices, uh, Shaq and uh, what's, what's her name? Melissa McCarthy are now available for, you can purchase um, their voices in the Amazon App Store, I think it is, for $4.99. And what that does is it doesn't replace the um, default Amazon voice. However, or Amazon voice doesn't replace the default voice for Alexa. And the other thing is that it, but it is there for, um, I think the example that was used was weather reports. So for some things, you'll be able to hear uh, the voices of Shaq and Melissa McCarthy, and other things you wouldn't be able to. And this isn't the first time Amazon's done this. I think they, they've done it with a Bollywood star, and they've done it with Samuel L. Jackson. So, with that in mind, I don't own an Amazon Alexa, but for those of you who do, if you happen to enjoy any of those voices, you can have your weather report read to you by one of them. And thinking about it, it might not be the worst thing for um, Samuel, Jack oh, Samuel L. Jackson to read my weather report to me. 
So, the other thing I want to point out for those who are interested in gaming, uh, AMD has fulfilled the promise and made Fidelity FX open source. So, right now, only a few games actually support this technology, which um, I believe makes the game uh, appear a little bit smoother and a little bit more vivid. And more games will actually be supporting this in the future, especially given, uh, given the fact of how well it has worked for the games that it's on. And the fact that it's also compatible with um, Unity and one other platform that's not coming to my mind right now. So, in conclusion, I do hope you enjoyed this uh, different sort of episode. So, in closing, I'd just like to say, um, if you get a chance, watch some of the Olympics. It takes, at the, it used to be very rewarding for the cities, but now, especially with the pandemic going on the way it is, it's very, it's, it can be very taxing on the city, so it, try, watch it, support it, I'll, always a, uh, good thing. So, if you have enjoyed this episode, even though it is a little bit different, um, Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Um, if you go to anchor.fm slash charlesweeklypart, you can listen to any of the previous episodes as well as finding links to your uh, favorite podcasting platforms there. You can also interact with the podcast by leaving a voice message and you can even support the podcast. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to leave a review if you enjoyed the episode. And um, it doesn't apply this week, but you can watch previous episodes on YouTube. So, for... And now that it's coming to mind for future episodes, I will be back next week. However, um, I think... I can't I don't know the exact dates but there will be at there will be at least one more week um I th I think there will be one or two more weeks in the July August time frame that I will end up um taking as off weeks so I know mid August I will not have a regularly scheduled episode although I am uh planning out a bonus episode because I, I, I will be uh, doing some traveling that day. And with all that being said, um, I will I'll see you back next week for another episode. And take care. Stay safe. Enjoy the Olympics. Mm -hmm.